Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the latest PR Moment podcast. Uh, and on the show today, we've got the PR Network's Managing Director, Eileen Boydell. Uh, and she's going to be, well, we're going to be talking about whether there are any truly global PR campaigns anymore. Um, for those of you that are not aware, the PR Network is a £5 billion income global PR firm based in the UK. It ha- only has 10 employees. Uh, here's some people scratching their heads already. Um, it has no head office, but it has 1,300 associates all around the world um, who it can call upon. And on average, it has, I guess, about 70 to 90, I'm told, associates working for it at any one time. No doubt we'll talk a bit about their model as well as we uh, as we discuss things on the show. Um, but before we start, um, do check out our latest webinar um our annual the creative year in review um is uh, coming up uh, and we've got another one we've just launched called pr analytics 2023 uh, i don't know how long we've been doing pr analytics as a webinar or a conference but uh, it's probably about 10 years now and it's always a popular one and there's a lot happening still in that space so do check out that both are available on the pr moment homepage where you can look at all the details including needless to say all the speakers also, thanks as ever to the PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Eileen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben, um, for having me. Great, great to be here today. An absolute pleasure. Um, this is what I never, I always, well, I don't know if I, I sound incredibly dull when I say this, but I'm always pondering this thought. How many global PR firms do you reckon there are these days? 10, 25, 100? What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot would probably say they're global, but whether they're actually performing global campaigns, I'm not sure. So um, I don't know, maybe 25, 30, 40. Yeah, it's interesting at one, isn't it? it you, you quickly get into a conversation about what, what's the difference between global and, and multi-territory, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, if you're coming back to the descriptions of it, if you're looking at a kind of global um, sense, you're looking at everything worldwide, so you know, 195 markets. So I'd question whether everybody, anybody's doing kind of PR in that number of markets at any one yeah. time. Maybe um, Coca-Cola, but but um, oh yeah, Coca-Cola's yeah. probably one. But yeah. actually, that's that's a really interesting one because Coca-Cola, I think, when they did their um, share a Coke campaign, I think that only reached 70 markets okay. in terms of PR that they did. So again, you're kind of still falling short. Of that kind of global. You, you mentioned a few numbers there already. Just give me some context to that. So you've got um how how many markets are you defining as global within within PR then? hundred and you, you just said 190 odd, did you? Well, well there's 195 total markets in the world. Obviously, you're not going to be able to do PR in all of them. Um, I think we know some of those. Um, okay. but you know, I think in terms of markets that you could go to, yeah, maybe about 130, 140. Yeah. When you say markets, you're talking countries, are you? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Um, yeah, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because the reality is that most PR firm, most PR campaigns are multi-territory, um, and that in essence depends upon the um, well, the target audience, simply. Yeah, I think for us actually, when you're looking at the kind of global multi-territory piece, um, it actually comes a lot down to the client setup. So we work with a number of different client contacts, whether that be in a global role. And they would probably view global, you know, they're representing a firm where they want to go out to a number of markets, but it's typically in the number of markets in which they operate as a business. So that could be like 40 markets. So if they're covering those 40 markets, that's global in their sense. Um, 
but equally, you know, we're working with a number of different kind of client contacts on a multi-territory basis. So, you know, an EMEA or an APAC job role. Um, so again, slightly different where you're covering a number of geographies under that region. Um, so yeah, um, a different- How many, different how many um, markets, territories does the PR network have a, have a presence in? Um, uh, I'd say we've got a presence currently in 60 markets okay. um, and actually maybe more because that's growing every day. That's generally driven by client demand. So, you know, where where brands are typically going into more traditional markets, perhaps. Um, but we can obviously add on um, and kind of seek out and build out a network very quickly in other markets. Um, so, and what yeah. do you tend to do? Is that people or is that other PR firms for you or a bit um, of both? Combination, actually. Um, on the whole, I'd say it's individuals. But actually, you'll find that there's different levels of maturity when it comes to comms and PR in some markets. Yeah. So you do tend to work with maybe smaller boutique type agencies in some markets where there just isn't a kind of freelance associate model in place. Um, yeah. You know, whether that's due to kind of governmental implications on tax and things like that, where you, people just don't operate as a sole operator that much. They kind of set up individual agencies. Right. But what you're challenges um it, it you're not i mean i'm sure there's examples where you do just hire one or two people within a territory but what you attempt you what you attempt to do is put together a virtual team within it within territory is it is that is that what you do fairly yeah often? absolutely um you know and if a client comes to us um you know on a kind of international basis we tend to have actually more than one option in market and that's actually a really kind of exciting proposition for clients so it really is for us about working out who's the best team person that can kind of deliver a kind of skill set and an experience for that market. Um, right. You know, and I think when we've been speaking to clients um, over the years and a lot of the time when they've come to us, it's really been because they've had, you know, not a terrible experience, but with some of the kind of what they, you know, a, a global networked agency, they've typically had to buy the agency wholesale and what they're finding is actually in market one team might be better than another in another market so I think the beauty for when clients speak to us is we can build it bespoke and we're not kind of beholden to working with a set agency in any set market because we've often got more than one option. Fine um, what was the model for international PR campaigns these days is, when they're put to an agency is it is it still that wheel and spoke scenario um, that's the dominant model for for uh, for an agency, I guess, firing out a central agency hub, I suppose, but then firing out content and activations to its its various um, and assets, I guess, to local teams. Yeah, I I definitely say that that is the dominant model. Um, what I would say is obviously, you know, rather than just firing out those assets, I think where we've seen the best campaigns come together is actually where you do have that kind of hub model but you're working in a very consultative approach with those kind of local agency teams as well. So, you know, for the kind of creative planning and strategic planning aspects of a campaign, we will often, you know, have a conversation, you know, work quite closely with local teams to kind of develop the right content. Because actually what you can find is if you're doing it in isolation on a hub level, um, you know, one word just doesn't translate or it's kind of culturally irrelevant sometimes and kind of a campaign can kind of fall and die before you've got to that point. 
Um, so that's kind of really important. So I think for us, kind of having that kind of hub model where we're working close with a brand to be really focused on the kind of core objectives of a campaign, but then providing a framework and then the assets within which local markets can take that campaign, localize it and make it relevant locally. Um, that's kind of where you get the best work, I think. And that's that's a, a, a tension that we will will exist forever, won't it? That 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 paradox of it is that that's the right word to between retaining um, a clear brand and, and clear brand values and standards around the campaign, but giving people um, enough room and empowerment to 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 um, adapt them to their local markets, and you know. Both those things exist at the same time and they're, they're competing against each other. Is that fair to say? Um, I wouldn't say competing against each other. I mean, in reality, if you ask, you know, if you're a global company or an international company and you've got 80 markets, it's really hard to say you guys go and do one thing. You'd be quite inconsistent, I think, if you were going from one market to the other. So you do need that level. Um... Well, isn't that part of the skill of, I mean, I, I get you, you can't always do it, but part of the skill of having these 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 campaigns that are global or multi-territory etc is, is to be able to do that and I get but there's always there's always a few ifs and buts along the way yeah but then that makes life interesting and PR <laughs> interesting right you know yeah. we're all different and we all bring something different to the table so yeah I get what you're saying and when you're looking at um I don't we don't want to mention names but when you're looking at the the global coverage of some of the big firms just I suppose just going back to where we started here well how many um how many territories, how many markets do they tend to be um, in? And then presumably then then they outsource a bit as well, do they? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was looking at this the other day in terms of, you know, how we stack up, I suppose, as a kind of fairly agile um, outfit compared to some of the kind of very traditional networked agencies. So when I was looking at the kind of, um, you know, at least the top two, so um, I think the top one, in terms of the number of markets that they cover, um, it was coming in at about 29 kind of wholly owned offices. But then equally to cover the other markets that they kind of, you know, are saying that they can do, they're actually working with 26 affiliates in market. So you're kind of looking at 50-50 split, really, between agencies that kind of wholly owned and then they're already working with independent agencies in those markets that's a lot isn't it it's more than i thought they'd be i thought because it has come down a bit for some of them probably not for the top two but for some of them we you've seen a a decrease in the number of offices i think worldwide um but 29 is still a lot of offices isn't it i mean quite how that works is that is that multiple offices in places like india i don't know but um yeah that's that that 29 is markets but they will you know in some there will be multiple offices on top of that they'll be yeah okay so that's a lot isn't it i mean that's that is a that costs a few quid to do that yeah exactly and actually when you look at the second agency dan i was quite surprised because they've got kind of 26 kind of markets that they cover but they're actually working in you know with affiliates in 50 other markets so that's like you know a third is wholly owned and then two-thirds of their work potentially could be via independence anyway yeah. So, yeah, which isn't a bad model, to be fair, is it? I mean, that's you know, there's because it means that uh, whether they had the level of, of adaptability and flexibility in terms of who, which affiliates they work with, I don't know. But you know, it's not. Um, there is there there is an advantage of being able to have some flexibility in terms of um, who who you decide to work with. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's where our model comes into play, really, because we're not um, limited, I suppose, um, by the kind of 
you know, we don't wholly own any offices around yeah. the world other than here in the UK. Yeah. It definitely provides kind of choice and flexibility. So, you know, even some clients that may we may work with another agency, but they can't cover certain geographies because we can just give them choice and kind of a deeper skill set. So but that's you must even now come up against clients who 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 worry about the lack of standardization in that approach don't they because that's 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 on the other side of that there is the yes you get the choice to choose with the best people and all the rest of it that, uh, but on the other side of that if you work for a, a global campaign sorry if you did a global campaign with a with a, a global partner agency what they would say is that they can that they can have a more standardized approach um I'd kind of argue with that, actually. I don't think it is. You know, we're very careful. That's, that's why I asked the question, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're very good, I say, at kind of vetting in a number of ways um, in terms of kind of how an agency partner or an independent partner may operate. I mean, a lot of the time you're only as good as the work you're working on now or the last project you did. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel that yeah, kind of our vetting process and, you know, the fact that we have got multiple options, you can change things out and replace people. So, again, that's where clients have come to us to say, look, I've tried a couple of times in market with existing team yeah. and, and they just can't do it for us. Can you? True. You never quite know. You never quite know until you start working with someone, do you? That's... <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly it, that. It all sound brilliant, but then it doesn't quite. Yeah. I just come back to that. Um that that wheel and spoke model is that is is there an alternative or is that is that it basically is that because that's been around for decades hasn't it is is that still the the, the way it's done or is there a, a a few different ways of doing it yeah no i'd definitely say it's that's the dominant way to do it um yeah. i think you might find that actually you can have a hub and spoke but actually you'll have a hub and then a kind of cluster of countries and then a local but then yeah. To some extent, that almost adds another layer. So I don't know how useful that is and efficient in kind of some campaigns. Um, right. Yeah, so I'd say that's definitely the kind of dominant model. And what's just within that model then? How does it work with the communication and the contact contact with the with the client? Does that does that does that always have to go through the the, the central hub or because you, you know you need to have communication there as a client as well, don't you? To the to the people on the ground. So how do you how does that tend? Just give, talk us through how that works in a in a practical sense. Yeah, definitely. And actually, we focus a lot of our kind of effort on making sure that that communication works really well. So again, I'd say we typically set up our hub, hubs to reflect the client business. Um, so what you'll find is you might have one individual or a team of two individuals or three individuals at that kind of regional level, and then we'll coordinate with those local teams. And um, what you'll find is there might be people in those teams um, in those markets, sorry, for that business that might have other responsibilities, so marketing and or PR or digital or whatever it might be. So um, in that sense, a client may want to work with us closely because they just can't have contact with all of those markets. On the other side, you might have a more established kind of comms team that's in-house where you've got people that are responsible for certain markets that sit as part of that kind of core team. Um, you know, and we would say that it's absolutely imperative that they work step by step with the local agency team, but that we have a kind of overseeing layer, I suppose, to kind of bring it all together and kind of make sure that things are happening as they should on right. both um, global, regional or local level. So we're I kind of a quality control to some extent. Gotcha. I suppose on a related point, how, how do you manage those conflicts? If, you, if you've got consultants, do they, do they work? exclusively for PR network or, or they work for other people as well and then and if they do how does how do you manage any conflicts 
Yeah, and actually, yeah, really good question. Um, absolutely, they work for other clients and they don't work exclusively for the PR network. Um, and actually, we found that can be really beneficial. So what you'll find is that because they've got um, other clients outside of our particular agency roster, they've actually got, you know, a lot of sector experience that's coming to, you know, they're bringing that to the client brief and kind of bringing it to bear on that um, kind of program. So actually, it can be really beneficial. And, you know, the conflicts at the beginning of any outset of any relationship, you know, we'll have that conversation. There might be a company list. And if they're working on it, then clearly they can't work on that program. Um, but the flip side of it is actually the associates that we might be working with get to also choose their clients to some extent because they can actually, you know, we may have a brief and they say, actually, no, I don't want to. So, you know, it's quite empowering for those people as well within our team. So I was just pondering, um, if I'm an in-house comms person, I've got some massive global campaign coming up. What, what are my options? Um, they're doing the whole thing in-house. Is, is that is that fair? How often that, that happens more than it used to, does it? Is that you're seeing the, the growth of in-house teams, but I suppose maybe not. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, go on. What do you, what do you think? Well, I was going to say, I'd probably say that's in the minority because actually... Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But but is it happening more? I think it is the minority because it would be a huge in-house team, wouldn't it? But you'd have to have a huge in-house team. Um, whether they'd be really able to kind of get the reach, I don't know. If that's why you deploy with an agency, yeah. really. um, but that's but, one choice. The other yeah. choice is going through a global firm, which we've talk, talked about. The other one is doing a, going through an independent network of of independent agencies. Um, so like. And there's various there's various uh, of those aren't they like PROI and, and and things like that who have a um a sort of a, a body of different independents that you can you can pick and choose within different um uh, sectors and geographies or you go to a virtual independent agency like the PR network do we what's the most popular of those three currently I mean I, I'd love to know the market share but we're not going to be able to know it are we but which one do we reckon is the most popular that uh, currently of those of those four scenarios um I would probably say it used to be number two maybe because people go I just want to go with a kind of badged you know I've got everybody everywhere yeah. but I think Obviously, it's definitely leaning to options three and four there. So kind of independent networks. I'd say on that front, though, even though you've got kind of a ready-made network of independent agencies, that's actually putting a lot of onus on that client, I suppose, kind of building that network themselves because they'd probably have to vet those independent, you know, there's there might be an agreement in a network, but they're still very independent agencies. I think that's something where we differ because we actually are that kind of core point of contact where we build that network with the client. But then right. I would. Yeah, I was. Gonna, so the the only real alternative for anybody is to to go through that virtual route. That's the. That's the way. Yeah, absolutely. But but it's interesting. But you, so you reckon the? Um, I mean, I would suggest that going to a global firm is probably still the dominant way to, that it's done. But I, I love. I, I longed for over many years for some market share data on that, but it seems virtually impossible to get. Um, but you, but you reckon options three and four? Uh, there's a bit of momentum coming your way. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, thinking about kind of when a client's looking to kind of appoint an agency, you know, a lot of the time they've not had the best experience, I suppose. So it's where can we make things more flexible and a bit more bespoke according to their needs. So, you know, that's where we can come into play quite effectively. But sometimes they do have a good experience, to be fair. They absolutely, they not, do. Not always have a bad experience. No, and actually, we've had some experiences with clients in the past where they've had a good experience, but there's just some markets where it's just not worked for whatever reason that might be. And we've plugged those gaps. So, okay. 
So sometimes yeah. you work, you do work with the big, the big firms, but you, you, you work with them just in the markets that the markets they can't reach. Sounds like a beer advert now, doesn't it? But anyway, there you go. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and essentially, I mean, seventy percent of your work's international. Is that is that right? I mean, that's yeah. that's that must make. What does that mean for for you? Does that it's it's a different type of work you're doing then, isn't it, compared to most PR firms in London? Um, because you are. Are you you're there's a lot more coordination to the work you're doing presumably out of the, from the UK is, is that fair to say yeah absolutely um you know and actually for us we've built a real skill set in that kind of international management piece kind of hub and build um approach so that's kind of done out of the UK and there's you know there's an incredible amount of um brilliant agencies in the UK as well that when you're looking at some of the new business um, pictures that might be coming in, um, you know, of late, probably lo- long lists of amazing people that can do it. So the kind of international piece for us is an opportunity for us to kind of scale and grow, yeah. um, given that it's quite a saturated market, I'd say, in the UK. It's not to say that we don't do UK work. We, we do. But, um, you know, I, I think we do other things and have the opportunity to do more. And just with that global um, perspective, again, when you're looking at, journalism across the different across the, the different markets that you you operate within um that must be quite an interesting p- perspective you get on that to sort of see the different that how, how how the that that journalism sorry that intersection i should say of journalism and pr plays out in different markets yeah definitely um i think that's actually one of the aspects of the job i really love is just the fact of the kind of how things differ from country to country um so, you know, even within Europe, which is obviously a bit closer to home, post-pandemic, we saw, um, you know, like Southern Europe really kind of invest in getting back face-to-face and doing meetings and briefings and things like that. And that's how, going back to more of the kind of um, days as we knew, whereas Northern Europe, actually, in the Nordics, you know, there wasn't a reliance on those kind of face-to-face um, interactions, I suppose. You know, it still astounds me today that when you go to some of the countries in APAT, that a press conference is the best way to get news out and to kind of introduce a kind of international company. So, yeah, there's, there's differences, but also similarities. You know, it's quite quite common, I think, across a lot of the markets now to see that print journalism is kind of shrinking. And I'd say that's a kind of common common thing, yeah. um, unfortunately. Um, but then you're looking at things like, I think, Latin America and Asia, you know, as well as what we see here with the rise in TikTok being a kind of great source of news, you know, that can't be dismissed, um, you know, in terms of how we kind of plan and execute PR campaigns as well. So, yeah, every every day is a school day, I say, in terms of kind of learning more about kind of what's going on in each country. And does that have implications for the type of content you're producing then globally? Do you, do you, do you, yeah. does video, video content do well everywhere or do you have to do different types of content in different places and I mean is it or is it just random depending on what the objective is or is there is there a sort of regional trend it's probably quite random I suppose in that sense we do try and um, again look at it region right by region um, but again I think it's giving as much choice and asset potentially within a campaign that then can be localized so if it's working with the local market and they say, actually, video is the way to go here or we need to do something more kind of social with influencers, potentially for a consumer campaign, then they've got the flexibility to do that, I suppose. So, yeah, that, that's where the localization piece really comes into play. Brilliant. I, I really enjoyed that. That was a fantastic little insight into um, the world of international public relations and, and a bit of media as well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. 
Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.